Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Uh, hey, if you just press play, uh, you were missing out on 44 minutes of us talking about a bit about Kevin Conroy's passing, um, which is a real shame, uh, real loss. Uh, and then we talked about Blockbuster, not so much of a loss there, um, specifically prompted by the show, which neither of us watched, but more the idea of um, going buying movies or renting movies, and I guess buying movies from like Blockbuster and how that experience is not necessarily... A good thing that would never was really good but if it was a local mom pop shop it was probably a much better experience because of curation um talking about the concept of curation uh in the film uh community and how it's kind of lost and more difficult to narrow down because algorithms on netflix and all the other streaming sites are not good at picking what you might be interested in and mostly you have to go to like social media or ask a friend to find out and uh and then recommending doing like movie hangouts because that's how you can relive the experience if you want to um yeah if you support on patreon for three dollars a month you get access to pre-show stuff where we basically talk about uh all kinds of things for like 20 to 40 minutes at a time uh sometimes longer sometimes shorter but it's free to you for three dollars a month on every episode of the podcast i think we've been doing it since the first avatar true trailer drops so i would say like April, March is when we started doing this. So that's a lot of content uh, that you are missing out on from all the way back then. Uh, there are other perks to supporting a Patreon for $3 a month. You'll hear about those as the show goes on. You probably heard about it at the beginning. Um, but let's get into what we are here to discuss. We are looking at Silvio de Salvatore's Black Cougar. Uh, <laughs> it is um, from 2002. It is an hour and 46 minutes, which I thought was a little bit longer. Yeah, it, uh, Dan, but it's you a superhero describe... for kids. You know? <laughs> Finally, all children will be safe. A superhero made for children. No, we are here to talk about Black Panther 2, Wakanda Forever. But I do think before we get into that, let's briefly talk about Black Panther 1, because it was a very big movie for a lot of people. And I'm sure you remember this maybe more vividly than I do. Uh, as the elder of the two, um, <laughs> would you like to would you like to get into that uh, real quickly? Yeah, I mean, just like to briefly summarize, like Black Panther was massive when it came out. It made like one point something. It's it's one of the higher grossing films in the MCU. It made w- well over a billion dollars, yeah. and it was a genuine like cultural like event. Um, like this was prime MCU years where it wasn't just the Avengers films that were big deals, like. Uh, certain films that would would gather quite a bit of hype around them just because um, the character was big or there's some particular angle they were working. Uh, Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa, the Black Panther, was a breakout character in Captain America's Civil War. Um, just an instantly cool, instantly recognizable character. He had a great costume. Um, his character was like really just instantly likable in a way where he had gravitas and seriousness. Um, but like Chadwick Boseman, I mean like, it's a shame we we it's a shame for a variety of reasons that he tragically passed away but um just like the art that he didn't get to make is going to be very sad because he was just such an instantly 
like charismatic screen presence and a very versatile performer. He had an obscene amount of promise as a performer. Oh man, gosh, you know. And I didn't necessarily think he was great in Black Panther, but as his career continued, it was like just improving across the board. Like this was nuts how good this guy was getting. And like in Defy Bloods, like he was great. I was just mind blowing. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like, I think I, I don't know. I thought he was quite good just like as the character in general, like in all of his appearances. But yeah, so like 2018's Black Panther, like it had the the soundtrack that was put together by Kendrick Lamar, like great soundtrack. It had like this insane cast uh, with just like tons of like just A-list actors just like showing up in supporting roles. And like the film was really, really good. And I, I have this distinct memory, like, you know, like it's so much has been written about like the cultural significance of Black Panther. But like I went to a theater and the theater was packed. Like people brought their church youth groups and stuff. There was like a row of people in suits and stuff like people who like just people just like flocked to see this. Like I saw it like three times in theaters and every time I went, it was like a packed theater and it was packed with like families and like grandparents and grandchildren. Like it was just this massive event and it was just huge. And the film was good to boot. You know, it, it like it was nominated for best picture. It was like a really solid superhero film. And like instantly what set it apart for me is like the way it just like instantly like <laughs> without fear tackled some what are for the MCU some pretty heavy thematic materials like in the movie. um like characters just flat out accuse the FBI of, fl- of flooding black neighborhoods with drugs. Um, they explicitly reference the slave trade. Um, Killmonger's final words before he dies are some of the coldest things ever said by a character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, it had quite a bit uh, more um, substance t- to 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 uh, to what was going on than I think some other films did. And you know, it was still like a Marvel movie. Like it ends in a big third act schmaz, and there's. Uh, notoriously Marvel pulled Bad CGI workers CG, from the yeah. project to work on Infinity War and Endgame. So CGI and some of the action scenes later in the film uh, really don't hold up. And, you know, like they tackle these themes in a Marvel way where someone brings it up and will men- mention it, but doesn't particularly explore those themes no. uh, as strongly as, you know, a smaller film might, you know, but at the same time, like it really is like, um, it is a really solid superhero film. There's some great performances. Michael B. Jordan as Killmonger is a huge standout for me. Any movie where Forrest Whitaker gets to show up and do his thing is a, it's a good movie in my book. And um, obviously, you also had like um, uh, M'Baku, uh, played by Winston Duke, who I'm still waiting for that Kimbo Slice movie that he was supposed to star in. I don't know if I got scrapped or something, but he's a breakout star in that and how, how that helped put him on the map. Uh, yeah, Black Panther was just, it was just a massive event when it happened. And uh, outside of Endgame, it's like the last, or in Infinity War, it's the last one of these that felt that way for for a long time. Like even No Way Home, like was an event, so to speak, but it was an event because people were like eagerly anticipating the returns of the Spider-Man that they like. Um, I Yeah, Black Panther was, I think, one of the peaks and apexes for uh, the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe in so many ways. And even even with the sequel coming out, like, I mean, you can say it's post super fatigue, post pandemic, whatever, but like there was anticipation for it. Like people seemed excited, but the, the excitement, it was definitely muted uh, compared to the first one part. I mean, maybe it's perhaps because 
the lack of Chadwick Boseman's presence or because phase four in general just hasn't been living up to some people's expectations. Um, but yeah, the first Black Panther was, it was really something. Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Wait, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S. and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You it's want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know right, this already. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, <laughs> I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Yeah, I I remember enjoying the movie, but not thinking it was particularly great. I remember finding the beginning of it uh, a little boring, although clever in the sense that it sets itself up like a normal Marvel movie with a normal old villain. And then it pivots when Michael B. Jordan takes the lead as the villain. And I quite enjoyed a bit of that. And then, yeah, I was not happy with how it ended. Not thematically, just more in the display of what was happening. Like you said, the schmaltz of it all, not the schmaltz, the whatever, the schlock, uh, just the mess, the (laughs) mess that it was. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just, um, it just turns into like the end, not as messy, but it's like the ending of, um, phantom menace where it's like where the gungans fight it's just like a flat (laughs) grassy field and people fight and it's very boring um and yeah so for me i I wasn't super into it plus i was already kind of watching a fair amount of like other i would say um more risky films when it came to like cultural discussions so like black panther just seemed like stale for me uh, in that front but i know for a lot of other people who typically go see marvel movies because they're family friendly um, this was a big deal. I think I remember liking T'Challa as a character and wanting a little bit more from Chadwick Boseman at the time, but again, his career continued to do very well and he was a very good performer. So it's an absolute shame that he's not here. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that, that's kind of all I had with Black Panther. Like I thought it was okay. Um, I know for a lot of people it was a big deal, but it was just good. Um, and that's kind of it. I didn't even think it was the best in that phase. It just was okay. And then I thought Infinity War was great. I mean, it was it was a strong phase for sure, though. And yes, it was. But, yeah. Like I think like part of what makes like Black Panther as a franchise. I mean, like the, a franchise within a franchise, you know. But it 
it does present a lot of like unique elements. Like you have a superhero who's also like the leader of a nation. Yeah, I like that. I like that he's not quipping. I like that he was level-headed. I like that he was mature. Like the problems he dealt with were like <laughs> he's he's, tra- he's tra- yeah he's trying to run Wakanda. You know, <laughs> to finish up with with Black Panther, it it also helped that uh, with the first movie, so we can get into this the sequel here, which is why you why your best play. I don't think it was great. I actually just feel like the movie was okay, but but it had promise seeing the characters move forward. And it is, uh, before we get into Black Panther 2, it is really important for me to say that Shuri was my least favorite part of that car- of that movie, uh, which if well, you've already seen Black luck, Panther buddy. 2, <laughs> then you're very excited to hear how I feel about Black Panther 2. But um, yeah, let's let's get into 2, Dan. Do you want to um, kick us off with uh, the film? And do we want to get into spoilers early or... Do, or do we want to kind of track through the film? Uh, or? So that's a good question. Because like one of the central spoilers, spoiler, one of the central things people will be interested in is like, okay, well, how do they handle Chadwick Boseman's death? And that's literally how the movie begins. So, I mean, yeah, if if you've listened this far, I think like my general opinion is that the movie's pretty good. And uh, but like, again, I also say you don't need our opinion on a Marvel movie you, you you're gonna see it anyway it. yeah <laughs> like who are we kidding you're gonna go watch this movie anyway even if it's the worst movie you've ever made well so. it is two hours and 41 minutes so you may not have seen it uh because that is a it is long, long time but which i didn't realize that when i bought tickets like i, I was just like, oh, and then like so i was like sorry. on my way to the movie like it's three hours but like let's let's get into it what, what's this movie about Dan? <laughs> uh black panther wakanda forever is the 2002 sequel to black panther uh, the 2018 film. 2022? However, the 2002? Sorry, no, did I say no, Black Cougar. Black Cougar was 2002. Did I say 2002? You did. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think people would know that I'm <laughs> what I mean. Black um, Panther colon Black Cougar is a 2002. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever is a 2022 uh, superhero film that is a sequel to 2018's Black Panther but like all MCU films, it is also kind of a sequel to a bunch of other movies. It is written and directed by Ryan Coogler with, uh, what's his name? Joe, Joe Robert, Robert Cole. Cole uh, credit as co-writer. He co-wrote the first one and also was a writer on The People versus O.J. Simpson. Uh, it is produced by Kevin Feige, of course, as, with Nate Moore also listed as a producer. Uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever focuses on the nation of Wakanda as it mourns the death of T'Challa the Black Panther, who was also the king of Wakanda, and the ensuing uh, political upheaval in the nation as Angela Bassett's character uh, takes, uh, presides over his queen. However, there are many questions there as to who, sh- what should happen with the Black Panther mantle, what should happen with the nation, what should be their way forward. As the world is now paying attention to Wakanda, which was at one time thought to be a primitive nation, the world is now aware of the fact that it is a technologically advanced nation, uh, which is particularly valuable as a source of vibranium. Uh, so as the United Nations, as they exist within the Marvel Semitic Universe, tries to know what to do with the nation of Wakanda, a new player enters on the scene, uh, Namor the Submariner, although I don't think he's ever called the Submariner in this, uh, played by Tanakh Huerta, uh, who presides over a, another nation that is not Atlantis in this, as it is in the comics, uh, perhaps to avoid comparisons to Aquaman. Uh, he is leader of what is effectively Atlantis. And Talo Khan. He, what is it? What do they call it? Talo Khan. Talo Khan. Sure. 
Don't uh, at me if I'm wrong. It's but. really unfortunate that the Avatar 2 trailer plays right before this movie, as someone pointed out on Twitter. Um, but uh and so now there is a sort of a, a new uh a new wrinkle into the complexity of the world's geopolitical situation. Uh the United States has found a way to detect vibranium using a new technology created by uh Riri Williams, who comic book fans will be familiar with as Ironheart. And so as Nimor and his people seek to find her, people of Wakanda seek to also find her for their own reasons. And this all leads to great conflict between the nations. And what I think is a nice departure for the MCU, uh, the central conflict shifts away from what you'd expect from the sort of film and becomes kind of a just a beef between two countries. And both are kind of right and wrong at the same time. And there's some actual moral and political complexity. Uh, nothing groundbreaking, but it's I think it's actually pretty interesting for this type of film. Uh, you get two interesting cultures on display. And uh, the look of the movie, I think, is far better than the first Black Panther I think getting to see more of the nation of Wakanda. And it's also interesting seeing a film that is comprised entirely of supporting characters. Um, some will see this as either a very big negative. Some will see it as an interesting feature of the film, not a bug. Uh, but Chadwick Boseman's absence is in many ways felt uh, good and bad. Uh, the movie does so- somewhat lack a central protagonist, uh, though one does eventually come into focus for the film However, the movie does have a lot of interesting supporting characters. Uh, Whether or not you think that makes up for the lack of uh, Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa is going to vary from viewer to viewer. Um, Overall, I think the end product we get is interesting. I definitely think it's better than a few of the other films we've gotten recently from the mighty MCU machine. Um, This is the 30th film in the MCU, (sighs) and it does somewhat feel like the 30th film in a franchise. Um, That said, this is one of the better ones, I think, recently, at least in terms of being different and interesting and standing out in some ways. Uh, a lot of these characters don't really appear in the other films, which I think works to the film's benefit. And I do think Namor is a really great, uh, true, lawful, neutral character. Um, I was interested in how they'd adapt him. He's not a character that I'm overly familiar with from the comics. However, what I do know of him is he's a morally great character who's more concerned about his people and his nation and occasionally gets roped into the shenanigans of the other Marvel characters. Um, And I think they do a good job preserving his character in that way. Uh, You do get, again, a kind of underwhelming third act giant battle. However, the central battle is between uh, the spoilers, new Black Panther, who is in all the trailers, uh, and Namor. And I think that has a little bit more going for it than some other things. I will say the performances across the board are terrific. Angela Bassett um, is getting a lot of praise online for her performance, and I think it's well-deserved. She is absolutely electric at, at every scene uh she is in however everyone else is great winston duke is great uh lupita and yongo is great uh unfortunately leticia wright is not bad but isn't the best and i i think she does a pretty admirable job stepping up to the plate however um she just isn't quite as uh dynamic as some of the other actors and also martin freeman and julia louis dreyfus uh show up for supporting roles though whether or not they should have been in the movie at all is, is debatable. Uh, overall, I thought it was a pretty solid Marvel movie with similar to the first Black Panther. There's a little bit more going on under the hood here. Um, as we get into spoilers, I think the movie does get some decent mileage out of um, some of the real life events surrounding the film uh, that adds a bit of an emotional oomph to it. And I will say, like, Brian Coogler definitely, um, there's definitely a palatable amount of heart in the film. It feels like they wanted to do 
a service to their um, fallen friend. And this actually also was the final film role uh, for an actor who was 95 years old. So I just want to make sure I get Whoa. her name correct. Um, uh, but uh, her name is, oh, geez, uh, Dorothy Steele. Um, she was 95 years old when she filmed uh, the movie, and she also passed away before the movie came out. Uh, so I do think the movie is a great tribute to both her and Jack Bozeman. Also, Kamara Uzman shows up for a few scenes, and that was cool. You may not know this, but the easiest way you can show your support for Cinematic Doctrine is to rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. So press pause and share your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And then press play again so you can hear the rest of the show. You told me that you have four specific points that you want to hit as far as Black Panther Wakanda Forever goes. Yeah, and they're basically points that when I got home from seeing the movie, I talked to Catherine about. Now, she wasn't feeling well this weekend. We had already gotten her tickets. We have a podcast, so I can't really just like... We have a podcast, and it's a Marvel movie, so trying to get different uh, screening is really tough. So I was like, fine, I'll just go by myself. And then when I came home, I was able to actually just talk to Catherine without spoilers and specifics through like how I felt about the movie. Um, and I'll start by saying this, uh, when I first saw the, when I first, the only time I saw the movie, when I was <laughs> in the theater watching the movie, I was having a good time with it and I enjoyed it. And I thought repeatedly, like I'm sure Catherine would probably enjoy this movie a lot. And before I get into my four points, I guess I should start specifically with the things I like, because the four points are a bit more nuanced. I think for some people, the four points I'm going to bring up are things that people like about the movie, whereas the four points can also be things people do not like about the movie. But I'll start first with what I personally... So, so they're kind of dealer's choicey in a way. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I'll be curious to hear how you process them uh, yourself. And for me, I, the things I liked about this movie is I think that it is nice that it has like a profile to it. It feels distinct from the other movies, specifically the first act. So I would say that the opening of the movie up to a scene on a bridge, a fight scene on a bridge. So that's about 40 minutes into the movie. I, I It's really distinct in having a profile of how Ryan Coogler directs each scene. Fight scenes are quite quiet. You can kind of just hear the fight taking place. Um, a particular scene in which like the Tal- Talokan people attack a rig is particularly freaky and i really enjoyed that and they use like mythological powers so like some siren song stuff whatever and all that stuff i really quite enjoyed um i did not particularly find it amazing i just really enjoyed that it had more profile than most other marvel projects typically have had now phase four has had i think more this is this is the 30th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I still think it's so I so I still think it's reasonable to say that the typical Marvel fare isn't stylized. Phase four has definitely been stylized like no way, no way home. Although um, that's not Mark Webb. I know Mark Webb was amazing. Spider-Man who, who did uh, no way home. John Watts. John Watts. He the first two of his movies didn't have really profile, but no way home definitely did. Plus, it was more serious. Um Doctor Strange obviously has profile. Eternals technically has profile, but I would argue it's borderline plagiaristic profile. Um, but still, it's, but all that to say is like it's nice to go to the movies and watch a movie that has a sense to it. And I felt like it was nice that 
Black Panther 2 had that uh, pretty much, I would say from start to end, but mostly in that first act. It's uh, made watching the film much more enjoyable to see how he decided to shoot scenes that otherwise like a second unit might just put together and just throw together. It really felt like for fight sequences that Ryan Coogler was there and not a second unit. I'm, I'm just presuming mo- uh, most of what I've learned about Marvel movies is that they have a second unit shoot the action sequences and then the director comes in to do like drama or like very particular points. I also just like Okoye. Everybody likes Okoye. Not a surprise uh, there. Um, the two sweethearts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now is um, Wong and I think Okoye. So uh, what one of my 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 boss is specifically said he wished there was just an Okoye project at some point. <laughs> probably will not be. But uh, when he watched Black Panther, he said he was kind of mid about the movie, but liked Okoye a lot. I said, if you like Okoye, go watch the first act of Black Panther and the movie's super long. So that's still 40 minutes to, to an hour. It's like a Marvel special presentation length. I definitely feel like there was something else I, I quite enjoyed about the movie, but oh, the soundtrack. I didn't, I didn't mention yeah, that. Um, yeah, I thought the yeah. soundtrack was good. I felt, I like that there were not just specifically character themes, but there seemed to be thematic themes like for emotions um, where it seemed like when a particular emotion is being experienced, a, a song would come in, which is a nice profile. I know people celebrated Black Panther's soundtrack. Obviously, the theme for Wakanda is great. Um, and one of the strongest, most memorable things about the entire MCU, because they unfortunately never reused Captain America's theme song from uh, First Avenger. Um they didn't do anything. I, I don't know why. That, that's one of the biggest crimes of the MCU is they've waited this long to start having a profile to their soundtracks. But those those things, I think, wrap up kind of the things I enjoyed. So you're you're saying that like, the positives are out of the way. Now we're getting to the four points. But you also are not just saying that your four points are 100% inherently negative. They're just things that maybe you didn't particularly care for. Or... I think the four points as headers, you could populate them with points yourself that are actually positives okay. for me the headers of my four points are largely populated by negatives and i don't like this movie i liked seeing it in theaters and i enjoy talking to it talking about it um with Catherine. but it, uh, it's now three days later and i you know i don't i don't think the movie's actually that good um and i i remember reading online some people said like it's negatives have to do with pacing and has to do with really juggling a lot, um, a lot when it comes to, and I think my four points kind of summarize those a lot things quotation a lot. Um, but I didn't see those things immediately in the movie, but as the movie continues, I felt like they become more apparent and there's specific things I'll bring up separate from the four points. I think if time permits it in our discussion, but um, yeah, I, why don't we just get into it? I I could not buy into the fiction of this movie of the world of Black Panther 2. And I have uh, basically it completely wrapped up in the fact that I think this movie is really, really, really ambitious. And with ambition is risk. And I'm all about that. I don't mind if you're ambitious, because that means you 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 give yourself potential to risk and failure because you're reaching for so much. You're trying to grasp for everything and then some stuff you'll miss. Um, but for me, I feel like every ambition it reaches for, I feel like it doesn't hit. Um, so black Panther one has a lot of, I think 
I wouldn't say a lot, but it has geopolitical awareness. And then Black Panther 2, again, kind of has that. Um, but whereas Black Panther 1, the plot line is a lot easier to correlate to reality. This one is um, more fantasy-like because it's about two fictional worlds warring with each other or potentially at war with each other and working things out. But I feel like... Um, let me get to my actual section on this. I feel like when you want to have this like geopolitical war, potential war drama developing, you, you got to explain a bit more about the actual place we're in. So like they constantly parrot the fact that Wakanda is like the greatest nation on the earth in terms of advancements and technology, but we really don't learn anything apart from the fact that Shuri just makes a lot of technology, but I don't know like what they're particularly advanced in. Because if you understand anything about countries on the actual planet Earth, some countries are better at other things based on location, region, uh, based on temperature, <laughs> based on the resources that are near them. Now, Wakanda specifically is like, we're uh, one of the primary, we were the only ore vein for um uh, vibranium. I was about to say unobtainium. Um, that's we'll get to that in December. But um, uh, they don't really explain anything else beyond that. And for me, when the rest of this movie is about like sea people attacking like Wakanda, I I just say all I know is that they're the smartest, most technologically technologically advanced nation, and they can't handle humanoids that swim underwater. And it's not like Aquaman where they're like jet propelling themselves through the water, which is kind of more reasonable for fantasy because like the human body is not very good at swimming. One of my big criticisms of Creature of the Black Lagoon is that despite the fact that the suit is pretty cool and it never has bubbles uh, when it's underwater, which I think is quite impressive, it's still like a spindly human and that's not very efficient for swimming and we never really see anybody except for i guess you could say namor kind of glide through the water so it's not like these people are that fast obviously they use like uh other fish and stuff like that to to travel but that almost makes them more susceptible i think to like technological technological developments to 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 attack or defend against them and so there's a part of me where my mind was like shuri cannot be the only person who makes technology in wakanda to be able to stop these people um i like wrote a couple specifics i said like there's got to be some chemicals you could use underwater electricity i don't even think you need to do that much i mean i think it's like a little bit of electricity causes sharks to like lose their mind <laughs> so like you could do something like that oil one oil spill ruins like a beach <laughs> forever so you could do that sound travels underwater really well so you could just like uh, at the end of the movie there's a particular weapon that seems to do pulses why you gotta do pulses you could just blare something and it would just pierce through the water um, and then there's currents or even seismic activity completely affects like water. So I just like, there is a lot in my mind that I was sort of like, I'm waiting for them to maybe develop technology for this and then they just never do. And then they kind of like keep getting their, their butt handed to them. But I guess since the Nemorians can just like get attacked and then get back up again, uh, whatever, but I don't know. Enjoying this episode? Grab that share link and tell your friends. Word of mouth is the most effective way for a podcast to reach new listeners, so don't be shy. Share the episode wherever you can.
Yeah, that was that was one thing for me that I just didn't like. I think for some people, the global political drama stuff, they'll be fine with without that. Their brain doesn't go to that. Um, they're more interested in the like, oh, Wakanda has or- an ore vein and other countries want to take from it. So yeah. despite the fact that Wakanda is becoming part of the world, they're being encroached upon by the other by the rest of the world. But for me, like when I'm thinking of the plot line and the enemy, I'm like, why? Why are they? Why aren't they using t- what they're known for, which is technology, to to fight against them? I don't know. It just seems like just because they have vibranium doesn't mean just because uh, Telecon has vibranium doesn't mean like the other elements couldn't be useful. I don't know. It, that affected me and my ability to to not see Wakanda still potentially succeed, um, let right. alone prevent them from being attacked, which happens later in the movie, um, kind of in the middle of the film, Wakanda's attacked, which is in the trailer. So it's not like I'm spoiling anything, but did you have any uh, thoughts on the political global drama thing that I bring up? Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's odd because Marvel movies get points for trying almost right. Like the (laughs) fact that you get (laughs) like a star on the board and their little living room, like it's cute, (laughs) you know, like I get what you're saying though. Yeah, because yeah, like you, you, you're just excited when like a Marvel or even like a, a generally speaking a big blockbuster superhero movie. It's not just Marvel because we also gave props to Black Adam for initially dipping its toes into some potentially like interesting um, commentary, like political commentary. Yes. Yeah, about, yeah, yeah. You know, and so like in that way, Wakanda Forever does also get some of those points in my book because I mean the opening is like essentially the united nations which is presumably made up of good guys like the united states is there france like these are what we would generally consider to not like these aren't like latvia or something like the fictional evil country in in marvel you know but they're they're framed as almost as just bad guys because they're trying to undermine wakanda and steal vibranium from them and so like there's a level where the fact that a huge thrust of the movie's plot deals with these sort of political uh, back and forth between nations, it gives the the movie like this like element of maturity over other like MCU fare or superhero fare in general. Yes. Because so much of the movie's quote unquote action is people having arguments and having discussions about what to do and whether or not the United States will get militarily involved with Wakanda, you know? Mm-hmm. And that definitely sets it apart. But it does also do the superhero movie thing where as the movie progresses that gets pushed to the to the back burner because you need to focus in on something. In this case, it becomes a, uh, a tension between Wakanda and what is effectively Atlantis, but it's like Ta... Talokan, Ta- I think. Talo Ta- is the other place. Yeah. Um, Talokan, which I also think is interesting. Like, I think that that's where the movie just becomes like what I think... I, honestly, like, this isn't the most movie critic way to put it. But that's just kind of cool. Like you just see like yes, an Atlant- yes. Atlantean country beefing with a technologically advanced land country and they go to war and you got fish, blue fish people fighting, you know, people in basically spaceships, you know, yeah. and that's neat. And that's a neat thing to happen in a movie. Uh, but you do in the back of your head, you're like, I wonder what would have happened if they spent more time on that other stuff. So there's a, it's it's this like thing where a movie by becoming more ambitious, it docks itself points where if the movie had just been super silly the whole time, you wouldn't even think about it. If they just had lots of battles between where people were jumping out of water with spears and using ray guns on each other, you'd be like, oh, this movie's a lot of fun. But because it does, 
include these like more mature, more interesting elements, it then causes you to criticize the movie a little harder in some ways. So yeah, yes. like I get what you're saying. Like it does in some ways disappoint because your hopes get raised a certain way and you're like, all right, well, let's see how, how does Wakanda deal with the idea that the United States might be going to war with them because they broke treaties, but it actually wasn't them. It was a completely other player, new player on the board who is, you know, causing a ruckus. And, you know, then you have Martin Freeman in the middle who's playing a double agent and he's trying to like uh, underhandedly create peace between Wakanda and the United States, but he's also has his own agenda going on because, uh, you know, Elaine from Seinfeld is his ex-wife. And now like, but at the same time, like, can the Wakandans like thread the needle and keep um, Namor happy while still protecting uh, Riri Williams, Ironheart and all this stuff. So there's like interesting stuff there. And I do like the stuff where Riri Williams ends up in Namor's custody. And then you start thinking the movie's going to start direction and this kind of, they don't necessarily abandon it, but it does like give way to like something else kind of. So I, I agree. It's a little, it's not as nearly as strong as it could be. But I do think there's a bit more there in that element to give the movie, you know, a little extra flavor or something else. Yeah, so. flavor is definitely the word. For, <laughs> I think um, to dust off what we used to say all the time, where like I've always described the MCU as just being like Coke, where sometimes you get vanilla Coke, sometimes you get cherry Coke, yes. sometimes you get Diet Coke, but it's always sometimes Coke. <laughs> you get new Coke. But it, uh, <laughs> yeah, so. There's, there's not, to me, a, a defining characteristics that, that help me understand Wakanda being able to support or fight against Telecon. And also, but also on top of that, it's the fact that they're water people. So it's like, and on the modern world, like my brain is going, well, why didn't a single person use electricity? Come on. I mean, I suspect vibranium is really good for fiber optics. I'm just going to guess that it's because it's like a wonder material. So they could do something and they just don't. I, I, I get what you're saying. Like I, I you're, you are making a great point in that as far as like the daily, like grounded culture of Wakanda is never really seen. We don't see what, like what jobs do people do? Like in, in, a, in a normal sense, like what, what's entertainment? Do they watch movies there? Uh, but I do think there are, some, there is a lot of great, there's a lot of other great Wallywood. details we see. They have Wallywood. Yeah. Instead of Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I just picture Wally World from the vacation movies. But, um, (laughs) like, we see that, like, we do see, like, their ceremonies and their music. And I think there's a lot of other details that really make Wakanda feel filled in that you kind of forget. At least I, like, forget. It gives it character. Yeah. I think that's a positive thing is that it has character. Hey there, listener. Want to influence the podcast? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support the show for $3 a month. In doing so, you'll be able to vote on a movie poll that picks a film we discuss each month. So jump on over there and have your voice heard. But let us move on to number two, which I think is a bit shorter on reflection. But one, the second point of ambition is that this this is a personal character story. So characters responding both practically and emotionally to T'Challa's death. And then individual stories of how each character handles responsibilities, whether they're personal, social, or political. The first problem here, and you heard it when I talked about Black Panther, the first movie right at the end, where I said Shuri was a character I did not like from the first one. I just said Letitia Wright has one scene with her mother in the movie that goes on. uh, I'm sorry. She has one scene. I'm remembering now. She has one scene with her mother and kind of sets up their relationship other than, of course, that they are 
family, but then immediately goes off and goes on an adventure. And then, um, yeah, let's officially say we are into spoiler territory. Obviously, I mentioned other spoilers, but I'm adding more character reads spoilers now. So again, you can move on. You've already heard that I, I didn't like the movie. Um, and I, I think, Dan, uh, you recommend the movie. I'm more mid about it, but also you'll probably see it anyway. But It already has made more money than Black Adam. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so all I have to say is, uh, uh, Queen Ramonda, uh, Roma, yeah, Ramonda, I think is her name. She ends up dying. Uh, Namor kills her. She, he's, she's drowned. Um, so they really build up this relate. They, they build up these scenes. They have, they don't build up. They have these scenes of like, they're together for a minute. And then there's this adventure where they split up and then they come back and then the mom dies and Letitia Wright's character is so mad. And now that's kind of her motivation for the rest of the movie for essentially the last episode of the Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever series. The last episode is Letitia Wright's character just kind of being mad for the rest of the movie. But for me, like I didn't get enough scenes with them together. And I kind of wish that like more stuff happened with the two of them together. I get that this is a complaint about the actual direction the movie goes, but I just felt like to then have them essentially like split apart and then come together. And it becomes this scene where like now it's going to be propelling the rest of the plot line for me. It just didn't work. Um, and I, I just didn't think that their plot lines even individually were very correlated. It actually reminds me a lot of like how the Star Wars prequels would just kind of be like, remember that time we went on this adventure? Yes, Anakin, that was great. And then you saved me from the thingamabob. Oh, but that's something that you always do, master, blah, 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 whatever. And then they split up and then they come back together again at the end somehow and emotional dramatic beats will happen and you fill in the gaps. And that's kind of why rewatching episode threes can be fun because Everyone is collectively filled in the gaps that the movie has, which is the previous two movies. Um, and I get for a lot of people, they connect with these characters. For me, I just didn't. And again, I, I don't like Shuri really as a character. And I did not like Letitia Wright's performance here. So like, I just wasn't sold on that emotional beat. Yeah. And, and the fact that she essentially becomes the main character, although she had already kind of been the main character, I think the movie really starts, the movie starts on her first off and then follows her throughout that opening scene. So it really is solidifying. She's going to be your main. Um, it just doesn't work for me. I was thinking of writing out points for other characters, but I didn't really feel inclined to. Um, I felt like really since Letitia writes the main character and her story is kind of the focus, uh, in the shadow of T'Challa's, of course, um, that if you're not sold on either her performance or her character's drama, then you're not going to really enjoy the movie. But but how did you feel about Letitia Wright as an actor but alongside also, um, yeah, I guess uh, Shuri's character and, and how she's developed? Well, first and foremost, this was an impossible task at the gate. Like, you cannot... Yeah, yes, agreed. <laughs> Um, for so many reasons. And like, I know that the internet isn't a huge fan of hers and yes. Yeah. We um, don't, I guess we don't really have to mention any specifics, but you probably have heard, uh, some stuff maybe online. It's not bad. It's There's, yeah, but it's but like, 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 it's also a bit speculative too, for my yes. taste. But yeah. at the same time, like, plus you're contending with fan casts, you're contending with like, uh, fan theories, like people yes, yeah. wanting other people to take the mantle, that sort of thing. So, like, when people talk about, like, well, why don't they just recast, like, Chadwick Boseman, like, okay, like, A, the people that make those sorts of decisions who knew Chadwick Boseman far better than any of us did um, made the decision not to do that. And, like, whether or not you like it or agree with it, I think there's a level where we all can respect that decision. 
Um, but yeah, anyone that like anyone they brought in to become the de facto lead is going to be unfortunately compared to Chadwick Boseman, who was an incredibly charismatic performer. Like the character of T'Challa was a great character. I like, I really liked him. Yeah. Super cool character. I was excited to see where he would go to be a lead for the, basically the new Avengers. Um, he would have been so good as like the new Avengers leader, which I want to also clarify, like Letitia Wright taking the lead in response to, um, not that she took it being given the lead um, in response to Chadwick Boseman's passing. That was not on my mind. Um, I wasn't sitting there going, who's going to take the mantle? Who's going to do it? Cause that seems to be every Marvel movie. I feel like now, if it's a character <laughs> who like passed or died or something, I was mostly just not on board with her performance. Um, only really enjoying one particular point. And it's a quick scene, but basically she's awe inspired by the artificial sun in telecon. And I actually was like, oh, those are like really minute facial expressions that she's doing that are really evocative. They're really good. Um, but then for the most of the movie, I mostly found she was pretty flat. And, I, I don't um, think she gives a bad performance. Like I, I've seen other people make similar comments where like mostly it's people being like, eh, she didn't really do much for me. But part of it is I think she's extremely overshadowed by all the other great performances. Yes. Here. When Lupita Nyongo's uh acting against her, not against as if they're competing, but it, you know what I it's, mean. It's 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 brutal. Yeah, it yes. Yeah. It's it's unfair, <laughs> you know, like Yes. And uh Angela Bassett is just incredible in this. She's really good. Yeah. Uh Winston Duke is great. And um I'm what's his name? The actor who plays Namor? Tanak Huerta. Yeah, Tanak Huerta. He's um He's really good in this. And like, I haven't seen him in anything else. I know he's been in other things. I th- he has a pretty big IMDb catalog. Yeah. But uh, Namor is just an instantly, he's an instantly cool character. Like he's, he's a great anti-hero. He only cares about his people and what happens to them. And he says some real cold, mean stuff <laughs> to, to Letitia, right. When, when, uh, when Angela Bassett dies, you know, like you're the queen now, like that's really yeah. great. And so like, I think I, I think she's just really overshadowed by a lot of the other characters here. And I think in terms of just like if I if I was Feige or Kugler or whoever got to make this particular call where like we're not recasting who's going to be Black Panther now, I don't think there's really that many other options. Like I think M'Baku works better as M'Baku. Like I don't yes, think he should be, you know, the the Panther. I think you could introduce a brand new character to take the mantle, but I think that just would just make people like if you talk about someone being unfairly judged right out of the gate, I think that would even cause it be even that issue, but like yeah. times it a hundred. And so I do like and people were thinking that she was being groomed to be like the next Black Panther from like the beginning. It just I think a lot of people assumed it would take place far way farther down the line for obvious reasons. Like unfortunately there was the tragic circumstances that caused that to happen. So like yeah, I she's not my favorite character in the movie and or anything, but I do think she's not like not as bad as some people say that she is. And yeah, I think she's perfectly fine, especially I do think she's given kind of an interesting arc in this movie where she is just like very bitter and angry and she has to have like what like there are certain things that will always just land with me and the moment where a hero chooses to be a hero, just unless you really do something bad to screw that scene up it really does something for me where 
she just chooses to forgive Namor and all that stuff. We're getting super into spoilers here and uh, doesn't kill him. And like, I like the scene where she suits up and I'm pretty neutral on the new suit. I see some people really don't like the new black Panther suit. Yeah. I'm not, a fan. I think, yeah, like I, I know you weren't a fan of it. And uh, I think it looks like a black Panther suit. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it's not my favorite suit or anything. Um, again, this is the flip of the coin where things that you are just flatly negative on, I'm mostly just kind of neutral on, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think she's okay in this. I, I don't think she's horrible. I but like I said, I do think she, in a movie that's populated with supporting characters, like this is predominantly a film that's made up of supporting characters from the previous Black Panther film, who now have to step up and fill the extremely felt void of Chadwick Boseman. I think she's the one that's the most kind of, uh, kind of uh, doesn't quite doesn't quite uh, step up as much as everyone else does, I guess. Yeah, and part of that might just be because she's young. It's possible. Hey, hey, hey! We have some Patreon goals we're trying to reach. If we get enough support, we'll review each God's Not Dead movie, as well as The Inhumans, that really bad Marvel show from a couple years ago. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and share your support. But enough about that. On a brief aside, I didn't like any of the suits at the end of this movie. I really did not. Um, Okoye and her partner's suits. I was amazed that like Okoye was right the whole time. <laughs> this is a bad suit. <laughs> and I was just like, what a what an unfortunate thing to draw away from like the performer's physic- physicality. I don't know. I was disappointed. They look like a zealot from StarCraft, which I guess is kind of neat, but I watched a Marvel movie, not StarCraft. I have not seen the uh, internet reaction to Ironheart suit, really, but it really looks like a Power Rangers suit. It looks suit. like a Power Ranger, and I... Like a Sentai robot. Yeah, and I don't know if that was like... I mean, obviously, you can't get away from it. That's the first thing you think of, so obviously, that was a choice somebody made, but I did not like it uh, at all. Didn't say I hated that look like a Power Rangers thing. I'm just making an observation. <laughs> I think for some <laughs> for me, people, I was that's going to be it. a draw, so... It's just, yeah, I wasn't a fan. Um, now, my third point had to do with sort of the artistic meditation on Bozeman's legitimate death. Um, I specifically kind of started by talking about like parasocial relationships, kind of feeling like uh, th- that they are real, um, but you need to do well to measure them. You get excited when someone puts up a YouTube video. You have jokes with your friends that you talk about with the third friend that's the YouTuber that you don't actually know and they they don't actually know you, that kind of thing. Like, that's still a real style of relationship, so I get it. Um, and in the case of Chadwick Boseman, being elevated to the status that he was in the Black Panther role with the first movie, I recognize that for many people it was a huge loss, apart from the actual familial or friend relationships he had in real life. For me, though, I I enjoyed him as a performer. I thought he had a lot of promise, and I actually found him to be quite enjoyable. And then additionally, the character of the Black Panther, I really liked T'Challa, I should say. The character of T'Challa, I really liked. And on the podcast, I think several times I've briefly mentioned, like, that was the biggest disappointment um, to to see, like, um, in the real world, the death of somebody is affecting what's ostensibly the a fictional escapist thing that we all enjoy um, and how unfortunate that is. I'm careful with my words there because I'm not trying to undermine or try to, um, I don't know, cheapen the, the reality of death to say like, Oh no, my, my cannons messed up now because so-and-so's passed away. No, it's just, um, 
it's a real thing. Parasocial relationships are a real thing. So I recognize that. But I think it's been understood, right? Like, I've, I respect Chadwick Boseman as, a, as an actor and a performer, and I like T'Challa as a character. But I did not have the emotional weight to carry me either in the sense in this movie, because it is important that the character dies in the beginning um, from an unknown disease. And they're very clearly making a comparison or a para- I should say a parallel to the, the real event of Chadwick Boseman dying from it, from cancer, uh, which people didn't know he had. And it sounds like uh, I didn't read about this, but it sounds like not a lot of people in his life really knew it, except for probably his immediate family. It sounded like he was a private guy. And so when the rest of the movie kind of uses that, and I don't think exploits it, but uses that as a means for dramatic sequences, I didn't know the guy, so I'm not really connecting with that. And I personally would not feel comfortable getting super emotional about a guy who performed a character. Um, if, if, if a fictional character dies in a movie, the actor is not dead. And so when I'm crying or weeping about it or affected by it, it's a different experience than when a fictional character is essentially the stand-in of a real person who has died. And it just feels a little weird to me. And I really wasn't connecting with that because I found that that didn't work for me as a narrative choice. And when the most when when the movie really uses that um, to start to to bookend the film, it's just not affecting me. And uh, but yeah, it just it just doesn't work for me. And and so uh, when the whole thing is doing that, and it's super self serious and. Into that, and then lastly, um, at the end of the film in the Stinger, it's revealed T'Challa had a son, and I just felt like in a movie that wants to kind of talk about legacy, or really, yeah, I should say it wants to talk about legacy, life, and death, and then constantly has this other stuff getting in the way, like the actual plot of the movie. I just found that it was disappointing to have that be a reveal at the end when it could have been a pivotal point in the film to assert like. There's a different way in which, like, after death, you still have influence in the world. That's not to say that death does not smite you from the earth. I think Proverbs makes that clear. Psalms makes that clear. And at one point, Shuri in the film makes that clear with her mom. Yeah, but but there's some there's just something more complicated to this. And so similar to the political, the, the my first point, right, where we're talking about opening up to world politics, I feel like in this case, it's the same thing where they're opening the film up to discussing this, but then it just barely does it. And on top of that, like, I'm just not connecting to it. And so that just doesn't work. Now, like I said, these points are probably flip floppy. I don't think they're positives, but for you, they might be not you, Dan, but the listener. So if you did connect with it, then I'm sure the movie did well for that. But for me, like, I just, yeah, wasn't really my vibe. Yeah. I think this, I think this is the thing that really makes or breaks the movie for people because Again, like, yeah, it's like I didn't know Chadwick Boseman personally or anything. I and I didn't see that many of his films, even, you know, but I really, you know, I loved his work here in, in the Marvel worlds. And um, by all accounts, he seems like a really great guy. Um, he's like he's one of those people that no one has a bad word to say about him, which I think really speaks to his character. And uh, so which is good, which is great. You know, like uh, yeah. the thing that really. Um, for me, like maybe go, all right, I like, I really like Chadwick is, um, is hearing that like people like just in like the costume and makeup department, he would have like personal conversations with them and they all had nothing but wonderful things to say about him. And they felt like he was a friend. Like, you know, you, you really can tell a lot about a person by how he treats the least powerful people in the room, you know, mm-hmm. and, 
And I think that is something we could definitely see in with Chadwick Boseman's life and all that. So obviously be like, I was someone I was a fan of, but he wasn't. Yeah. Like I found the film affecting and how it portrayed his death and I, how it weaved into the story. Like I, I, I think they emphasized it pretty, pretty much the amount they should have. Like he bookends the film. He is referenced here and there. I, I personally feel like his death, um, both the character and the real actor really is hovering above the film, you know? And so like, for me, when the film ends with just a character crying as they remember someone, it, it, to me, it really does hit both those levels where I see how in universe, the character is processing both the death of, of uh, T'Challa, but also the death of, you know, uh, Angela Bassett's character and just processing all the things that happened where she became the black Panther and she's, she went through this, this whole ordeal and now she feels the weight of this man's legacy on her shoulders. And, and then simultaneously you do get a sense that this is also how in a way we get to see this, this real person process another real person's death. I, I got a sense that this was a labor of love by the crew and they really wanted to honor Bozeman's death with this film. And regardless of how you feel about the end product, I felt like that was something that was like tangible as you were watching it where like, you know, reportedly there was constant rewrites. There was constantly changing things up on the set and working on things. And, um, which I think in some ways you can see that and that there's like plot threads that don't really go anywhere. Like the, everything with Martin Freeman and Julio Strafus kind of adds up to not much. Oh in my the gosh. Movie. Yeah. We'll get into my fourth point in a sec, which yeah. is pretty short. <laughs> we're getting to the end. Yeah. I think, I think if you really connect emotionally with that, and it get, this does get into the debate of whether or not things are exploitive or not. I think in this case, because it was a film made with the primary creatives involved, all people that knew him and really cared about him, I think it does pass uh, that test into being like a you know genuine loving tribute, the way something like Furious Seven is. Yeah, it's it's an uncomfortable intersection of commerce and art, and yeah, where, yes, that's a good way to say it. Yeah, they're making this big, expensive movie in an even bigger, more expensive franchise. So it has to work as one of those. And it has to keep the machine going. And if you spend $300 million on a movie or however much they spent on it, you have to make X amount of money to make it profitable. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if behind the scenes, Kevin Feige internally was like, you know, it doesn't really matter that much if the movie makes money because we're doing this for, for Chadwick Boseman and, and uh, you know, def Marvel could definitely like afford to take a hit here or there where a movie only makes X amount of profit. But yes. Um, so the, yeah, they have to do that. They have to, they have to pass the battle on so the character can appear in other things. They have to do these things. But at the same time, everyone involved is mourning their friend who passed away. And anyone who knows like people at this point, jokingly talk about how, like grief is just the thing that all of these movies are about all the time. But these people who are actually grieving someone who actually passed away, grief takes a while. You know, I was, you know, I was recently having a conversation with someone whose son passed away years and years ago and she still is broken up about it. She still gets moments where she just starts to cry, you know, grief takes a while. And so like, yeah, Jack Bozeman died at this point probably two years ago, but as his actors are working on set, making a movie about him essentially i'm sure that was very emotionally difficult and so that can also make it hard to fairly criticize the movie or fairly praise it because 
more than ever, like it is like, you know, it, it can be tough to, to criticize a work of art that lots of people work really, really hard on and they put their heart and soul into it. And, you know, they, they, you know, it really was a labor of love. And so I think so far your points are relatively fair, you know, um, but at the same time, like for me, I, I just felt that was palatable. Like I felt like I could feel it. And even if yeah. they don't, all those beats don't always hit because some of the CGI here and there is iffy or, you know, fundamentally it's still a movie about fish people fighting, <laughs> fighting <laughs> yeah, surface yeah, yeah. people. Yes. And yes. occasionally someone will sit down and be like, yeah, I still miss him, you know, and, and literally murals of him are just in backgrounds of scenes, you know, like, uh, you know, like the eyes of God watching them, you know? So like, that's that stuff um for me that landed and if it didn't land for you or if it didn't land for anyone who watched it i mean that's a big part of the positives of the movie like when i give a positive review those are things i think really make the movie work and really make it a mm-hmm. film we're seeing but if you're just like ah, this just something bad feels weird to me it feels exploitive or feels unearned or whatever like i can see that really um docking multiple points out of the movie but yes definitely definitely the word unearned i think works because it just on, on top of that it just feels very chaotic and, and muddled i would say that i think if i think if the movie really did focus in on that like if the movie like was about um shuri having to contend with another person who claimed the throne or something and so he was like this he his memory was a central conflict of the film i wonder if that would I've been like stronger or something. I'm just more really spitballing this is, here. But. This is um, a, a, a weirder comparison, but in terms of cinematography, I think it'd be interesting. But something like in The Invisible Man, Le Wanels, where like scenes are shot. <laughs> now that where, is an odd movie to compare know, this to. Yes. But like having scenes where they're shot like someone's supposed to be in frame who is invisible. Um, so you have a person standing with a shot reverse shot. But the idea is you're kind of emphasizing the absence of someone's presence um and like something like that to carry through the movie would have been interesting but that would require you to build the movie around that concept around um themes cinematography music maybe even having songs where you know the song but an instrument is missing to really assert like the creative sense that like someone's not here um there's all sorts of things um but again like it has to also be a marvel movie uh, and an ent- entertainment blockbuster. Um, and in that sense, like it, it, what I'm asking for, I don't think is unreasonable because we've seen good Marvel stuff. It, I know Marvel Netflix is its own thing. Like the license that they got, the content they got to do in that is very different. Um, but it's still part of that. Like was still permissible. I know it's a different medium, but all I have to say, it's still like, part of the universe. Yeah, it's still yeah. part of the universe and it's still like part of what was allowed creatively. And so it's, all that to say is like for this particular part of the film, like to, to, to maybe not go into it more would have been to me is unfortunate. Hey, don't forget. There's a lot of fun content missing from this episode because you're not listening on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine and support for $3 a month to gain access to uncut episodes with upwards of 40 minutes of bonus content each. You'll thank me later. But the last thing, this is very brief, I think, um, or it could become the longest thing. Who knows? Uh, but the Feigeverse stuff, uh, which is what I wrote, um, specifically meaning um, Kevin Feige probably gives notes saying like, hey, if you're making this movie for us, make sure you hit these points. 
um, because we need that for the next movie. We, um, we assume we, we don't, we don't know yes, about the behind. This the is just the theory, like uh, the game theory of how it works. Cause we don't really know the most we've gotten is, um, she Hulk finally revealed to us the algorithm, but that's about it. Um, <laughs> I felt that like when we introduce Riri Williams, we're introducing them as a character who initially we don't know who they are and we understand that they're threatened uh, uh, by death. But then we find out they're a named character in a known comic series in a franchise that introduces characters that stick around for a long time. So it just deflates the conflict. There's still action sequences that are fun and tense. And just like I might get tense uh, during a sequence in a movie where someone's head get ripped, heads, head gets ripped off, even though obviously it's fake, um, I also recognize that like the plot still needs to have threat. And when Riri Williams is then being like taken by Namor, I'm like, well, she's fine. She's gonna be in the next like ten movies. It doesn't matter. Um, she has so, her like, own show that's been announced. Yeah, ex- exactly. So like to do that to me deflates essentially the first two thirds of the movie up until Namor attacks Wakanda because like, obviously nothing's going to happen to this character. Um, so just that big disappointment um, for drama. I feel like it takes away. And then we've mentioned in passing uh, Freeman and Louise Dreyfus con- stuff. The, that stuff is so uh, unimportant to the movie and it is a two hour and 41 minute movie. It's three hours. Let's just, it is a three hour yeah. movie with a subplot where two characters never get any information. They and they repeat that. They actually say it to each other. I don't know anything is what they'll say. And you know what? As an audience member, neither do I. And so it just immediately kills the progression. And, and nothing happens to them in the end. No, no, nothing does. There's no the reveal at the end isn't relevant to it. It's not like Julia Louise Dreyfus was like in the distance with some goggles going. Oh, there's T'Challa too. Like it's not like it's just. It's why are they here? It's just crazy uh and it's not like we can posit like oh yeah ryan coogler is really good friends with the two of them so he said hey i'll give you a paycheck if you show up in a in a clone trooper outfit or like in star wars or something so it's it's just it's it puts the whole movie dead stop um and on top of that like i also feel that the movie does that by itself with its own plotline apart from them i feel like the film doesn't really um take its scenes uh, with a creative flair. It's almost like if these two characters are talking about this one thing, that is all the scene is about. There's nothing peripheral. There's no illusions and dialogue. There's nothing like that. The most illusion and dialogue you get is Shuri says she wants to burn things to the ground, which makes me think of Halloween ends. But <laughs> we were the only two people yeah, in the world who thought yeah. of that movie at that uh, moment. We were like, oh, Corey's coming back. I can't wait. <laughs> That's the biggest crime <laughs> in that movie at the end with Corey. But um but I digress. Wouldn't it be wild if Namor comes on land and Corey's just with them? <laughs> <laughs> no, he just shows up with the mask. <laughs> uh he's like t- says specifically to Black Panther, you're just a man with a Halloween mask. Um, but uh, <laughs> I need this crossover. Someone, please. But um, yeah, Karen, the only illusion there is that she says she wants to burn things to the ground, which is what Killmonger says he wants to do in the first movie, which of course is used in the movie. We haven't mentioned it. Uh, we're way past spoilers at this point, but when she becomes the Black Panther and goes through the ritual, she witnesses the previous king, and the previous king is a is is killmonger so obviously there's correlation between the two characters played by the incredibly charismatic michael b jordan who just like the you just wish he was in the rest of the movie because he's so immediately awesome and you know they'll find a way to get him back because of the uh what is it the um 
Guardians of the Multiverse um, in the What If show. Yeah, I, I feel like this movie has a problem with like, just like our podcast, where it kind of keeps going and then it just stops the pan. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Way past the point of being good. So. So, um, and uh, yeah, this this culminates in um, the final se- sequence, which feels the final fight feels a lot like a Star Wars prequel movie ending where it's like four <laughs> fights happening at once. And when Shuri as the Black Panther is fighting Namor, it's a pretty cool fight and you're ready to see it continue. And then it just cuts away to show Okoye in the bad suit fighting other people. And then it cuts away to show Ironheart in the bad suit fighting other people. And then it comes back to Black Panther. And this time it's a turn-based battle. So now we've switched direction. You remember Batman versus Superman? Well, now Namor has got the sink in his hands. And so it's just like... It's it's just very messy editing, and it, you can you can hear them screaming in the editing room, going, "Oh my gosh, I, I think I've gone a little too far at a few places." And it's just, it's it's a very deflating ending. Um, yeah, it just uh, I don't think the movie is very efficient with its scene the scene action and being a three hour film. Uh, because I also thought this movie was kind of like Dune and being this geopolitical, bizarre, silly, very sincere movie, and Dune is very much that, um, where it's very good and self serious and 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 confident, but scenes in that movie are very complicated and in solving multiple things at once. Uh, I was talking about the scene in which the, the spice collector is being, uh, breaks down and is about to be attacked by a sandworm. So Paul Trades and his pat pat, they go save him. And it teaches like you as an audience member, not just that this is satisfying you as a, a fun action sequence with cool visuals. It's the first time that Paul is affected by the spice. And so you get to have an onset of the recurrent themes about kind of, living in the present moment presently, but knowing that you are making decisions that are going to affect the future while also kind of seeing how it affects the past. It's really interesting and how you see it uh, on top of also teaching you something about Paul's uh, father and how he's very altruistic. And despite the fact that these people are essentially like there to die, uh, like if they die, it's just what's going to happen. It's a very complicated, multifaceted, successful, efficient scene, and it meets very many needs. Whereas the rest of almost the entirety of Black Panther 2 consistently does not do that. It, it, and, and in Dune, this happens all the time. Uh, in Black Panther 2, it's every time it's just one thing is happening in during during one scene with one with two or three characters talking, mostly just two characters talking. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's constant. It just keeps like uh, not having a whole lot going on in each scene. And then when things slow down because of the um, Feigeverse stuff where we need to set up the next movie or the movie itself decides it's going to go into its different uh, bullet point, one of these four that I've talked about, it just, uh, it's just to me, it's very uh, boring to get through. And uh, yeah, so that kind of sums up, I think, uh, how I feel about it. But I don't know if you wanted to say anything to at least that last point um you're not the only person to to level that particular criticism i know sunny bunch uh, from the bulwark talked about this and a couple other people too where when the movie goes outside the boundaries where like a strength of the first one is that it's actually pretty self-contained like it feels like you're watching a particular problem happen to a particular group of people and it's not really concerned with the rest of the quote universe and um this movie kind of does the opposite where you are kind of very aware of the rest of the world. And so like all the stuff where they go outside of it with the dumb stuff with the American government and uh, that in particular being a particularly egregious example of that where when the movie, yeah, is trying to introduce Ironheart into the universe. And then in the end, Ironheart really doesn't play that much of a role in the climax in any way. No, but the character is just kind of still there for the rest of the time. 
that stuff is when the movie's weakest. And then doesn't even get to keep the suit, which I guess is okay. But like, still, like, so it doesn't even become the origin of them getting their suit. So I just, I, why? Yeah. <laughs> what is it here? Did you know Cinematic Doctrine has a blog? Visit cinematicdoctrine.com to read extended thoughts on movies or movie industry news from our contributors. Plus, you can find our podcast on there too. Yeah, so I, I honestly, I would generally kind of agree with that, where I think the weakest stuff in the movie is when it feels like someone's like, well, you got to include this. And mm-hmm. it, th- that's becoming a growing yes. problem where some of the stuff that's the dumbest or at least consequential or really takes away from the whole is when the universe gets in the way of the movies. Yeah. And sometimes there's a good, like there are instances where the shared universe really pays dividends here and there. Um, and this unfortunately is not one such, <laughs> one such instance. Yeah. I mean like overall, like I said, I think the movie's pretty good. Um, I think some of your criticisms are really valid and, and really on, on point, but overall, I think the good really outweighs the bad in this case in a way that I, I would go so far as to say, like, this is a pretty good movie. I think it, I think it's one of the better phase four films. I think depending on your level of emotional investment and how much some of the stuff hits you, like I've seen some people go so far as to say like, this is a favorite phase four movie mm-hmm. of these. And I can kind of see that. Like, it's the one that's the most serious. They don't undercut too many scenes with jokes. Um, I think it has some of the most actual creative touches where there's some really quiet scenes. There's some really pensive scenes. The use of um, the the way music is used, I think, is really effective here. Uh, the final battle between Sherry and Namor is, I think, really, really solid because it's so grounded compared to the rest of the fighting and the rest of the movie. Um, and it's, it does get a bit violent. I mean, with, you know, obviously within PG 13, uh, uh, um, boundaries, but yeah, there's a lot of good moments here. I think it's, I think if the movie had cut <laughs> all of the Martin Freeman, Julie Lewis Dreyfus stuff, not only would it make the movie's plot better, but it also like it would cut down that enormous running time. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have made everything play so much better. And I think for a lot, I think a lot of people, including yours, criticisms would have really been alleviated by doing that. Because you would have some of them, yes, yeah, I, I think so. Because I think, I also I think it would have made like other stuff just more prominent. I think it would have helped, yes. yes, you know. But I get what you're saying. But you know, overall, I think it's pretty good. But you know, our our disagreement, I think, also sums up a lot of disagreements I'm seeing online, where there's some people who are just like, man, like I get it, but it's also like really disappointing, yes. you know, So. Yeah, it's definitely not a case where I'm part of why I think the points are so helpful is like I'm asserting like that I get it. Like cuz I think some people for a movie like this where it's a blockbuster, big popcorn flick but also about death. It's like, oh, well, you just don't get it if you don't like it. No, I got it. I just don't think it it succeeds, but Want to keep up with various cinematic doctrine news? Check out our Twitter at Cinedoctrine. That's C-I-N-E Doctrine. Link in the show notes. What recommendation do you have, uh, Dan, for today? Oh, um, I was going back and forth on this. Uh, First, I'm going to recommend, from a Bible recommendation, I'll just say that R.C. Sproul's Galatians commentary uh, is currently on sale on Ligonier. 
um, if you go and you if they're doing a thing where like for a donation of any amount, so like you just give them a buck, uh, they'll send you his Galatians commentary, uh, Legionnaire Ministries. So check that out. Um, R.C. Sproul, uh, one of my faves. His commentaries are like um, basically transcripts from sermon series he would do on books of the Bible. So it's not like a verse by verse exposition like some people prefer the commentaries. Uh, but if you're more in line with someone like a Kent Hughes commentary style or um, that sort of thing, I, it's it's especially if you get it for a donation of any amount, quote unquote. So definitely check that out. Uh, I'm I'm recommending one that's probably not fun. <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna do Amy from Asif Kapadia. Uh, it's a documentary from 2015, about two hours about Amy Winehouse. Um, yeah, documentaries are interesting because they uh, they are an interpretation of events based upon the director. People sometimes say they like documentaries because they're real. Yeah, I guess they're real, but they're still like with the fake sense of a director. Even so, um, the the lens, I shouldn't say fake, but the lens of the director. And what's nice about this documentary is the lens of the director is to just show footage, no talking heads, just constant footage of Amy Winehouse um, from when they started to their death. And uh plays songs over plays ha- has talking p- people talking um but yeah no talking heads and um it's extremely well edited so how it paces you will it'll be over before you know it um and it's just a really f- i just found it to be like a I, i've always thought it'd be really kind of a good episode on the podcast when talking about like documentaries or creative documentaries or or, or really memorable documentaries because i think there's a lot of i mean netflix pops out a documentary every week and it's just sometimes the dumbest subject matter um or it's interesting subject matter done really poorly but this one in particular i think it is really excellent and covers a fascinating subject matter of like um people using art to to talk and communicate and maybe just process and work through things um but how it's often not enough to work through your problems and it's a devastating heart-wrenching documentary but it is also very well done so it's constantly engaging so i'll have a just watch link somewhere in the bottom by somewhere i mean in the recommendations tab uh so yeah i'm definitely recommending amy there's a couple of um specific little things that i wanted to recommend um that i've really uh, been super duper into uh first also mentioned I previously mentioned a podcast called Ephemeral and they recently did an episode about Ed Wood uh, that is well worth huh. a listen for people who are fans of just Ed Wood as a filmmaker or just quote unquote bad movies or just filmmaking in general uh, Ephemeral is specifically a podcast about uh, just like media preservation like the value of media how it can get lost how it can be rediscovered effects it has on people and looking at that in the context of like a quote unquote bad filmmaker is interesting. They like what they interview somebody who's a film critic who hates Edwards films. They interview somebody who's like the president of Edwards fan club, basically. Uh, and you get a lot of great um, perspectives on that. And similarly, um, there is a YouTube video that I'm going to send to you so you can put in the description, but it's called the search for um, shadow, the last secret in shadow Colossus. Uh, it's a little 25-minute video just detailing this one particular web, like this thread on a, on a web forum who were convinced there is a final secret in Shadow of the Colossus. 
and it's just going it's just like an overview of that whole journey they took um it's just a really it's just a really interesting shortish video about a very specific subject uh, that kind of touches upon like just internet communities in general, but about just like the general search and desire to find something that you're convinced is there and what happens if what you find is something kind of different. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.